it's totally my privilege to be here. Um, the couple of times, two or three times now that I've been invited here has been uh, just a thrill. I love the worship. I actually took a photograph last night of the kids in the altar area. Uh, our, 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 we have a Tuesday night prayer meeting every week, and typically our, our children's ministry says provides uh, small group activities for our kids downstairs. But the leadership has felt that given the severity of where we are as a nation and what's happening around us, our kids need to be in the presence of the Lord and learn early. And I actually posted um, uh, the photograph uh, while I, just right after I took it of a bunch of kids that were standing right here with their hands lifted up. And I said, this is how we get the next generation ready for whatever's coming, right? The, the, the enemy is doing his best. The enemy is doing his best to take our kids out. And he's been working at it for over 100 years in the education system. Um, and my daughter, my, my eldest daughter, taught public school for eight years before all this nonsense started. But it was in the works. Um, and uh, we just had Pete Hegseth as a guest last Sunday night in our Apologia. We do it one Sunday night every two months and bring in a guest just to talk about these issues. And he's written a book uh, about the fact that the educational system has been consistently planning this. Where we are right now, they've been planning it for the last 150 years. Uh, so the enemy is a gradualist, and he's willing to take his territory a little bit at a time, and now suddenly the body of Christ to have, is having to wake up. I pray it does. And we wake up by getting our kids learned how to pray, which is what I'm here to talk about. And I've got to be, I've got to be very careful of my time, so I trust somebody will wave at me when I'm out of time because I've got about 14 sermons running around inside of me. Uh, and I want to start. Uh, they, don't ever, they don't ever ask me to sing a solo at Westgate Chapel. So, so I want to start with a song. It's one of those songs. Uh, Tasha Cobb does it. And it's, it's one of those haunting songs that you find yourself singing to yourself when you're playing golf. Uh, and I don't play golf like Pastor Lee does. I've heard all about his golf game. And I dare say he will never invite me or shouldn't invite me to play golf. Because when I play golf, I have plenty of time to worship. Because I'm, I'm in the trees over here, worshiping God's creation. I'm over here, wishing I had a chainsaw with me over here. And, uh, and, but this is the song. The chorus goes like this. And I may have you sing it. Uh, it's what he's done. What he's done. All the glory and the honor to the son. My sins are forgiven. You know it already. My future is heaven. I praise God. For what he's done. I'm going to read you. I'm, I'm so glad you know it. I want to read you the verse. See on the hill of Calvary. My savior bled for me. My Jesus set me free. And look at the wounds that give me life. Grace flowing from his side. No greater sacrifice. And then the chorus. What he's done. What he's done. All glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. I praise God for what he's done. Lord, thank you. We've worshipped you already so beautifully in this place. 
But thank you for what you've done. Not one of us would be here if it weren't for you, Lord. Not one of us. Who knows where we'd be if it weren't for you. So thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Uh, I... I, uh, I got, I got so many stories. When you get to be my age, you got a lot of stories, right? And you, you just pray that they're relevant. But, um, I started, uh, my life out in a, as a pe- preacher's kid in South Africa. My father was a pastor and missionary. Uh, and, uh, in the middle of a really messy church that he took in the city of Durban, uh, about 35 people. Uh, the church was just in a horrific mess. He didn't know when he accepted it. Uh, and he's a little five foot six. Everybody in my family is five foot six or shorter. And my brother, who's nine years older than me, would always tell me I was left on the doorstep in a basket that I'm really not, not a Rollins. But uh, uh, when, when my dad took the pastorate, he, he thought, well, I'll just pre... The thing was in a mess. We had a Sunday school superintendent that turned out was paying one of the girls in the Sunday school class for sexual favors. We had a church treasurer. Uh, this is a Pentecostal church. We had a church treasurer that was not, come, not attending any longer, but would come at the end of his service to take the offerings. And turned out he was paying his bills and not the church's bills. So the church was in arrears. Dad didn't know this when he said he'd take about 35 people. And uh, so he thought, I'm going to preach this thing straight. Right, so he's a, he's sort of a Winston Churchill personality. Some people at Westgate think maybe I'm a little too tough in my leadership. They should have, they should have met my dad. Right, dad didn't mess around. His philosophy is if you see a problem on the horizon, get the 12 gauge out and blast it now, before it becomes a worse problem. And uh, so anyhow, uh, dad tried to preach this thing straight, and and nothing nothing seemed to. Nothing seemed to get through and ended up in the hospital with a bleeding ulcer. Was in the hospital for a month, transfusing him. The ulcer was so bad. Uh, and it came out of the hospital. And I was probably about 10, 11, 12 by then. Came out of the hospital and had a family gathering and said, your mother and I are going away for a month of prayer and fasting. And when I come back, if God doesn't do something, I'm going to go back to the motor trade. Dad had been a little Chevrolet dealer in the little town of Peter Maritzburg in the early 30s. 1930s. Um, and uh, you got to clarify that now, right? And uh, so he came back after a month of prayer and fasting and nothing much changed in the church. And then about three months later, um, in, a, in a little prayer meeting with about a dozen people, uh, and my dad said it was a miserable, I don't remember a lot of this. I've got family stories that have, but my dad said it was a miserable prayer meeting. One lady prayed around the world in about 45 minutes just by herself, covered everything she could think of to pray. And, and uh, so dad said to himself, uh, this is things dead. Let's give it a decent burial and go home. And he got up to close and the Holy Spirit said to him, you've been here for an hour and a half and you've done nothing but complain. Why didn't you let these people worship me for a moment? And dad said, without any faith, and now totally defeated, and somewhat begrudgingly, but just out of sheer obedience, he said, all right, let's just worship the Lord for a moment. And those dozen people, I forget what hymn we sang or whatever, and the presence of the Lord came down. And folks began weeping. People began confessing sin out loud. Uh, And that old prayer meeting lasted until almost midnight, 
just alternating between tears and joy and worship and more tears. And, uh, and by the end of that prayer meeting, it was like everybody walked out saying, what, what just happened here, right? And because uh, you, you can be a Pentecostal church and have all the Pentecostal theology you want, but unless you have the presence of God, you're not going to have hearts ready to respond to the Holy Spirit when he shows up. And uh, so we drove, we went home, and you can imagine the conversation around our family that weekend, what what just happened. Uh, And when we drove to church that next Sunday, my mom told me this story. I hadn't heard it until just a few years before she passed away in Seattle. After dad died, we brought my mom out to Seattle. And uh, she told the story about when we went back to church that Sunday, Uh, For dad to unlock the building, there were already 200 people standing out front of the church waiting to be laid in. Just word of mouth, just word of mouth that God had shown up, right? And that began really continuous years of revival um, and all based on prayer. When I went back in 2009 to interview on camera people that were, were, you know, your guys' age when the revival came to my dad's church. Um, they they testified to it on camera. One lady reminded me, she said, Mrs. Jobert, she said, Alec, do you remember when you were nine years old and it was about nine o'clock and the prayer meeting was just about over and you got up to go to your dad's office? If this was the sanctuary, the new sanctuary, we had to build a new building and the office, dad's office was off to that side. And there were still some people praying in the altar area like last night at the very end. And dad, and this lady said, you walked, I was about 12 by then, right? You walked across the front to go to the, uh, go to dad's office. And she said, the Holy Spirit came on you and you fell on your face and began praying in tongues. And you, and she said that, that little, the after prayer meeting didn't get out till midnight. So, so I've been around the presence of God in the mood, but it's all been based on prayer. So jump ahead, I come to, to my first pastorate in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. But now I've, all of that's memory for me, and I, that's my dad's generation. That worked for my dad's generation. I'm smarter than my dad's generation. I learned church growth methods. I read all the books about how to grow a church. I know about marketing. I, I know how to advertise. I, I know how to put on special extravaganzas at Christmas. I know how to do Easter uh, musicals. I, 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 and so we started with the poor 300 people that got me as a senior pastor. I ran their legs off for, for two and a half years. Nobody got saved. Troubled marriages weren't being repaired. Lives weren't being transformed. We hadn't had a baptismal service in two and a half years, but we were, we were working and we were doing stuff and, 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 and the church wasn't growing. Um, and I was tired and discouraged and I thought, you know, what am I doing? I think I should not have chosen the pastorate. Totally forgetting. Isn't it amazing how the enemy blinds you? Totally forgetting what I'd learned as a child. And uh, so in my humanity, I thought, oh, I know what I need. I need more theological education. So uh, I signed up for the Assemblies of God Seminary, their extension program. And Holy Spirit must have been laughing uh, when I did that because I thought, I'm, I just get in there. I need more theology. That's what, that'll fix it, right? All the programs won't fix it, but more theology will fix it. So 
I go to my first class, and it's taught by a gentleman by the name of Stanley Horton. He's in the Lord's presence right now. He was in his 70s back then, a little, bit, little tiny man, bent over. He walks out with his Greek New Testament. That's all he's got. And he begins to open up. And the, the core, I should have known God had his, his sights on me because the title of the course was Guidance and Power in Luke and Acts. And, and he took five words in the Greek in the, in the Gospel of Luke that Luke chose to use to describe the person and work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus when he was on this earth. And then he goes to the book of Acts, to the body of Christ. That's us. And, and takes those, Luke uses those exact same words that he'd used for the Holy Spirit on Jesus. And he, he identifies it. And I'm, I'm, there are about 30 pastors taking the course. I'm in the front row. And I, the Holy Spirit is convicting me now. And I start crying, right? So I'm just, I'm just trying to take notes and listen. And the next day I move to the middle because I'm embarrassing myself up front, literally. I got a whole box of Kleenex. Right. And folks might have thought I had COVID back then. I was just <laughs> blowing my nose and hacking. And, and uh, then the, the next day I moved to the back because I, I, you know, you know, I saw him years later at a Society of Pentecostal Studies gathering of scholars from around the, the world. And and I, I he was sitting up front and he's in his 90s then and nobody paid attention to him. You know, he's he's a has been right and uh, has been and. Uh, sitting all by himself, all these big time new, the new scholars on the scene. And I went, sat up next to him, put my hand on his knee. And I said, uh, I said, Dr. Horton, you don't know. Uh, Sorry, but you changed my life. God used that course. Um, I was a wreck. I, I drove back. I drove back in uh, uh, after Friday night's class, nine hours from from Cedar Rapids to from Springfield to Cedar Rapids, and uh, I had to pull off the road several times on the highway, just overcome by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so I got home at early hours of Saturday morning, and and then I thought, oh, I got to I got to preach tomorrow morning. So I started looking through. I, I didn't know what to preach. I started looking through my notes. Thought I'd warm up a golden oldie. Because at that point, I, there wasn't much gold in there. There's a lot of old. And, and uh, I knew, as I know, some of you guys will know this, pastors will know this. I, I had that, that gnawing suspicion of what the Holy Spirit was after. And it wasn't a sermon, and it wasn't me revisiting an old sermon. I had to get up in front of those 300 people and say, I've, I, I need to ask your forgiveness. I've been pastoring you for two and a half years. And I've been a prayerless senior pastor. Uh, I, I prayed. I prayed over meals. I prayed, Lord, bless the sermon preparation. I prayed in services. And if you were unfortunate enough to have me visit you in the hospital, I prayed for you in the hospital. But I had no, I was, I was a believer. I was a Christian. But I had zero prayer life. I was leading that church out of my head and out of church, out of church growth methodology. And uh, as one of those services where I wished worship had gone on forever, I dreaded getting up. 
Uh, but I got up and I, and I did that. I just confessed to him. I said, the Lord wouldn't let me prepare a sermon for this morning. But here's what he did tell me, sitting in my car overlooking the Cedar River. He said, if I would seek him and, and encourage everybody he sends me to, to seek him. The Lord said, I will do exceeding abundantly above all you could ask or think. And so I said to the church, I don't know. At that point, the only role model I had in this country, and I didn't even know him, hadn't visited the church then, but it was Larry Lee back in the day before. He, yeah, I won't, I won't finish that sentence, but he, had, he pastored Church on the Rock in Rockwell, Texas. And, and it, was, it was a marvelous church based on early morning prayer meetings. Uh, and so when I, I said to the church, I said, if you'll meet me tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock, we're going to have prayer meetings at 6 Five days a week. And, and church, Cedar Rapids is about 120,000 people. So it's not very big. And you could get to church and, and get to work by seven pretty easily. Uh, and I had no idea if anybody would show up. Uh, but at six o'clock that Monday morning. Uh, oh, oh, at the end of that service, a gentleman came up to me and he said, with what just happened today? God's going to do something in this church. And he said, you're going to need more property. We were landlocked in residential areas. He said, Here's, this will help towards the, the, the land. And he'd written a check. I, didn't, I was in an envelope. And I didn't want to be rude and open it. When I got back to my office, now remember this is 1982. When I got back to my office, it was $40,000 uh, for down payment for property. So Monday morning, there were 75 people of the 300. Can I just, something we learned from a teacher named Dean Sherman, a YWAM teacher. He's, he's, he doesn't travel anymore. But he said, any church can have revival. He believes. And I, I kind of believe this. If you've got a big enough core in the middle who are on fire and pressing into God, they will generate a hunger if it's a big enough core. Their influence for God will permeate the rest and they will generate a hunger that the rest will be captivated by and you'll have revival in the whole church. So it turns out 75 people were enough and and they met faithfully from then till when the, the church in Seattle called us seven, eight years later. And by the end of that summer of 82, we had to go to two services. And I, listen, I, I hate it when pastors use numbers. Okay? So please forgive me. Cause I, and I know none of the guys who are here do that, which I just love. I love this fellowship. If I was closer to Lee's, I'd be, I'd be part of Lee's group. I'd, do, I'd carry his suitcase or whatever. I, I, seriously, I love this fellowship. Because it's just a bunch of guys not trying to impress each other. And just be colleagues and be friends. I love that. But I don't you, does it, doesn't it bother you when the first second sentence out of a pastor's mouth is either, what, what were you running on Saturday uh, or Sunday? Well, I, anyhow. But by the end of that summer, we were at two services. By the end of the next summer, we had to move the services into the high school auditorium rented across the street. Because children's ministry had grown so much, it took over the whole old building. And two years later, God gave us 40 acres, timbered acres, inside city limits with a creek running through it. And two years later, we opened a 1,500-seat sanctuary with 52,000 square feet of office and Sunday school space. And we were just in full-blown revival. Didn't know what we were doing, running to keep up with God. But all because, all because 
the congregation was ready, not just even me. God had to get hold of me, yes, but the congregation was ready to say, we're going to call on the Lord. So I want to share with you a quote. I've probably exceeded my time, but I want to share a quote with you from Billheimer. And then may we show that it's an eight minute video. Is that okay? I don't want to bump anyone else and be rude to anybody that's after me. But Billheimer in his book, Destined for the Throne, powerful statement. Through the plan of prayer, God is actually inviting redeemed humanity, that's you and me, into full partnership with him. Not in making divine decisions, I love that, but in implementing those decisions that he's already made, but in the affairs of humankind. And that's what we, those, think about the things we were praying last night. When we were praying last night, we were praying for what, what Richard Owen Roberts, a guy who's become a friend of mine, and is probably he and Henry Blackaby are, aren't getting around anymore. They're too old, but, but are probably the greatest scholars of revival. And Richard Owen Roberts says the four things, every corporate prayer meeting, because when you come in a corporate gathering, we're here to war. We're doing war. We're at war with the enemy. We're at war with the powers of darkness that have got strategies for Baton Rouge and for your city, wherever you're pastoring. We're not fighting flesh and blood. You know that you've preached it. We're fighting against principalities and powers, but we lose sight of that. And the only place that battle is won is in the place of prayer. And when we're meeting for corporate prayer meeting, he said there should be four things we're praying for. One, the overwhelming sense of God's presence. Because that's a characteristic of revival. The kind of sense of God's presence that blows our agenda out of the water. Uh, and we're ready just to go with whatever God is doing in that moment. Our hearts are melted, our spirits are melted, and we're just melted down before God. No more I, me, we, but just, just God, all God, right? What he's done, what he's done, right? Number two, we should be praying for a supernatural anointing on the word. What the preaching of today needs, including mine, is a supernatural touch of the Holy Spirit. So that when, when you read historical revivals, preachers couldn't even get through their text. And grown men were groaning and getting out of their seats and running to the altar. I've, we've, I've never seen that. So we need that kind of anointing on the preaching of the word. So it has the authority of God on, and the teaching. Wherever the word is preached and taught in every local church needs supernatural power including in our children's ministries. There's no junior Holy Spirit. That's why I'm so glad to see them here. I can't believe you've got teenagers and young people in this gathering. That's incredible. Number three, we should be praying for lost souls. Lord of the harvest, send the harvesters, and we'd be ready to be those harvesters. So, so the lostness of our cities, and the, I love praying for, you praying for prodigals last night, incredible. So we're going to pray the harvest in. And number four, we've got to pray for God to do something colossal. Now, just very quickly, Rich Stone Roberts is not a Pentecostal. When I'm around him, he tells me that he just tolerates me, right? So he's, not, he's very much a staunch Calvinist. So, so this, this, you need to know that when I tell you the story. He said the fourth thing we should be praying for is for God to do something colossal in every city that's represented. In the, God do something colossal. He, his example is he lives in Wheaton. He said when the Chicago Bears win, the whole city ripples with the news of it. He said we need God to do something like that. 
that when he moves, it's with such power and such a demonstration of power that the ripple effect of it doesn't bring attention to any individual, any one church. It just ripples through the area like happened at Asbury Seminary and is happening at Auburn University right now, that there's just what he's done, what he's done right? Just begins to ripple through that. And we need colossal, not for ego's sake. Uh, Please, please, I'm sorry to take so long. An Ethiopian pastor came to prophesy over me in 2016, 2016. And this is what he said. He said, uh, it was a lot about me. I was ready to quit. I thought I'd been convinced that I was old. I should quit and let a young guy come and pastor our church. And I bought into that. I was ready to go play golf in Kona or something like that. And, uh, and he, came, he came all the way from Fort Lauderdale to tell me, no, God's got different. But here's what he said in 2016. Things are going to, I've got it memorized. Things are going to get far worse in this country and at a speed no one could have imagined. This is 2016. Listen to this. And false ministers and false ministries will not survive. And look at what we've been seeing happening on a national scale. When we pray for God to do something colossal, we're not talking about big egos and big individuals strutting, you know, their stuff for social media following and all that kind of stuff. That's, that, that's not going to cut it anymore. Uh, we, need, we need God and we need people who are willing to be used by God, who are willing to not take the credit for it and let God be God, right? Um, and so here, do, are you sure we have time for the clip? I can play it some other time. Okay, so eight minutes. This is Maria Durso. She and her husband were the first church plant out of Brooklyn Tabernacle. And she has something to say about the corporate prayer meeting that you honestly need to hear. And when she's done, I, I yield my time to the representative from Louisiana. So when I was at the Brooklyn Tabernacle, of course, we had a prayer meeting and um, they taught us how to wait on God. I don't think I really understood the necessity of intercessory prayer until we were now the first church that was birthed out of the Brooklyn Tabernacle and we were given, Pastor Semble was given a building and... um, they asked us to pastor. We had no clue. We were laymen. We, you know, and in Brooklyn Tabernacle, I headed the youth. So we would have a Friday night youth meeting in this little upper room because at that time Brooklyn Tabernacle wasn't big. And at 10 o'clock we would end and these, a few little old people would come. Pastor Ware was one of them and his wife. And, uh, They would say, Sister Maria, we're praying for you. And I remember thinking, how nice these little people, they're praying for us. They would pray through the night. And uh, I thought, but, you know, I'm doing the important thing. You know, I'm speaking. I'm teaching. So we opened Christ's Tabernacle. And, of course, we started a few weeks before we ever had a Sunday service. We had our, um, our prayer meeting, very vital. But I noticed that on Sunday, even though our little choir was good, um, my husband's word was good, 
and it had all the makings of something explosive, but it wasn't exploding. It was as though everything that was happening on the platform had no penetration. Like the arrow was falling down and it didn't reach the pew. So I started to say, God, what's wrong? You know, I'm not understanding. Why in Brooklyn Tabernacle, like, you're like, like, it's not happening. So it was, um, it was New Year's Day. I was driving home. I was pulling in my driveway and the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to make you an intercessor. And I remember thinking, an intercessor? I can't even pray like 10 minutes straight alone. Like, I need like a whole room of people. And um, so I go in the house and I had a clock in my kitchen. And he said, you see the clock? And I said, yes. And of course, this is all internal. And he says, you see that little mechanism in the center of the clock? I said, yes. He said, nobody buys the clock because of the mechanism. They buy the clock because of the size, the shape, the Roman numerals, the lack of Roman numerals, the color. But nobody ever buys a clock and says, ooh, what a mechanism. I got to have that mechanism. He says, but if that mechanism didn't work, that clock, no matter how beautiful it is, size, shape, it's useless because it's the mechanism that makes everything go around in order. And he says, that's what intercessory prayer is. Then he showed me in my home, the boiler room. He says, nobody buys a home because of the boiler room. Nobody goes in and says, ooh. Got to have that house. Look at that boiler room. No, you buy it for the size, shape, the bedrooms, the aesthetics. But if that house is cold, that boiler room becomes the most important room in the house. He says that's what intercessory is. He says prayer is. He says that boiler room has to be hot. And then he said to me, a boiler room has three things. It has water constantly running through the pipes. It has has to be heated with fresh oil and there has to be a constant flame. That's what makes the boiler hot. So we need fresh water of the word flowing through us, the intercessors. We need fresh deliveries of oil We need the Holy Spirit, and we need that constant flame. Just like I said before, that flame, it must not go out. It must burn morning and evening. The fire on the altar must not go out. And he said to me, if the church is cold, it means the boiler room's cold. But if the boiler room's hot, the church is hot. And people will come in and they'll be able to, able to take their coats off. At first they're fearful, but then they'll take their coat off. And then they'll be open to the word and the worship. They're gonna, God's presence is going to warm them up. 
And before you know it, they're walking down an aisle to receive Christ. And that intercessory ministry that I started with just a few turned our church around. The youth ministry that I speak about, we prayed 10 years before we ever saw that happen. 10 years. And for 10 years, it seemed like the heavens were closed. But the Holy Spirit said, keep on praying. Because one day, I am going to open the heavens and my presence is going to come. And the youth ministers that we were praying for, we were praying, God, raise up youth leaders. I didn't know I was raising them up right in my home. They were my sons that became the youth leaders. It just was an amazing thing. But we had to keep out it, at it Friday after Friday. And now it has grown. There's prayer every night. And uh, it's, we desperately need it because the needs are greater. The culture's changed. And um, people just come out and, and they, they just call on the Lord and for the needs, for the pastors. And one thing I will say, people are not coming out to pray for themselves because they're an army. That's what the, the corporate church prayer meeting is. You know, you write out a request, we're praying for it, we're calling on the Lord. But when you gather as an army, you're praying for the generals. You're praying for the state of the, of the church. You're praying for God's spirit to be poured out. Just like if somebody went into the army, they go to battle. It doesn't matter if their grandmother's in the hospital. None of that matters. You're called to do a job. We're called to do that job, and we keep our eyes on the prize, and that's for the Spirit of the Lord to just, you know, change our nation, change our city, change our church, per se. Pray for me to follow that. And uh, thank you, Pastor Alec. It was beautiful. Um, I just want to point out a few things. I'm so thankful for our intercessors that she was talking about and sharing about. Thankful for you that intercede. And I'm thankful for you that gather as a group. I think it's interesting she said, you know, we're an army. This isn't my time, is it? <laughs> no. Um, that we're an army gathered together. And uh, they, the, some of the ladies who gather every few weeks to pray... Um, or actually name themselves prayer warriors. So that's a, a fitting name. And there's other groups in here that meet and intercede before services. Thank you. And, and God help us grow in that. And uh, she, she mentioned something that I, I kind of, what, I, what I, I wanted to talk about to you today. She said when she, when God started speaking to her about these things, about the boiler and um, the other thing that she said in the beginning, um, she said it was internally, that God was speaking to her internally and that's what I want to bring out to you today. We're told to pray without ceasing. And we often thought, how in the world can I do that? You know, I'm, I've got a job. I'm working. I'm teaching school. I'm taking care of two-year-olds. You know, it's hard to pray. Unless I'm like, God, help me. I'm praying that all day long, you know. But to pray without ceasing, God provides so many ways um, in the spirit and, and others. But one way I want to mention is that our daily communion that God meets with us in our thoughts. Communion is fellowship with the Lord. It's an intimacy with the Lord. It's a partnership with the Lord. And Psalm 139, David said, Lord, you have searched me and known me. Think about yourself in your life. You know my down sitting. You know my uprising. 
You understand my thoughts far off. You circle me about my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. There's not a word in my mouth. Oh, Lord, you don't know it or you know it all together. And then he goes on to say, how precious also are your thoughts to me. God, your thoughts are precious. He shares our thought. He'll share his thoughts with you. He knows your thoughts. He knows everything you're thinking. And he has thoughts to share with you. You've beset me behind and before, he says. Um, he also prays, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. God sees the details of our days. Even our thoughts aren't hidden from the Lord. Nothing, nothing is hidden from the Lord. We admire David's relationship and his communion with the Lord. We desire to have an intimate relationship. We we say we do. We want to have that be called a woman or a man after God's own heart. But so often we go about our day. We're busy, we're stressed, and we're distracted. And the Bible speaks of the wicked person and says God is not in all their thoughts. And sometimes that's what we are throughout our day. We'll go through a whole day and God is not in all our thoughts. I was reading in Luke um, and asking myself a question, is he in my thoughts? And, and I came to several places where Jesus, he perceived the thoughts of those around him. The Pharisees were always plotting, how can we trap him? You know, what questions can we ask him to get him in, in a hole here? And, and he knew what they were thinking. And, of course, he addressed it. When the man sick of the palsy was lowered through the roof and he said, be healed. And then he said, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees were thinking, who is he to forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking. And he addressed it. He knows our thoughts. And he knows our thoughts to teach us and to, uh, to discipline us. But he knows our thoughts that we think towards him as well. He knows our thoughts where, Lord, that's a beautiful sky. God, you're so good. Thank you, God, you're so faithful. Lord, I love you. When those weren't spoken, he knows those thoughts. And it encouraged me to know that, um, that I can commune with the Lord in my thoughts. I was reminded that, my communion and my intimacy with the Lord goes way beyond my voiced prayers and devotions. I'm not a wordy person. I don't have a large vocabulary, so I run out of things to say. I love to pray the scriptures because of that. But my communion goes beyond my songs of praise, beyond my obedience to and the study of the word. My communion with God goes to even my thoughts. God not only knows my thoughts to discern my motives, but he knows my thoughts that I think of him. He knows my unspoken call for help. Just think if you've put yourself in these places. He knows my silent acknowledgement of his love to me in every detail. Has he been in the details of your life? And have you thought, oh, God, you love me. God, wow. He knows that thought I had about him. He knows my thoughtful prayer for a friend. He knows my conversation that others don't hear about the day ahead. I, you know, I'll just... Talk to God about my plans. Okay, I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to go do that. And I'm talking to him, and he knows it. He hears it. He understands it. He, he knows my unuttered acknowledgement of his powerful work and presence in the middle of a noisy crowd. When I'm in the shopping center or when I'm at work and things are noisy, I can be thinking of him, and he knows it. He knows, I don't have to speak it. Sometimes I can't speak it. You ever been walking around in the grocery store, and somebody's talking, and you think you answer them, and then you realize they're on the phone? <laughs> You know, and you feel like an idiot or there's other people walking around talking and you think 
they're crazy. So you know that you can't walk around and talk out loud all the time. I've been in New York recently. They do it all over the place, all the time. But here it's, it might be a little bit judged. And so we sometimes just have to say it to ourselves. But I can utter those prayers to the Lord, my thoughts. And she said God gave her that internally. All of that was thoughts that God gave her. He wants to meet us in our thoughts. Um, and God hears them. Nobody, nobody hears on the outside, maybe in that grocery store, but God hears it. There are times when we just can't speak out loud, but we can share our thoughts with him. First Samuel said that Hannah spoke in her heart to the Lord when she was praying for her son. Other times we can just sit quietly in a quiet place with the Lord in our thoughts. David prayed in Psalm nineteen fourteen. Let this be our prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Meditations are continued and extended thoughts and reflections. Let, our, let my extended thoughts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. God, hear what I'm thinking. He does. He knows it. And it can be acceptable to him. Sometimes our extended thoughts, what we meditate on, are placed on unworthy things. Fear, anxiety, bitterness, unforgiveness, problems, all the things that we are that occupy our minds. But what could occupy our minds are thoughts of the Lord and just conversation that we have in our minds with the Lord, our communion with him. Our thoughts can be a battlefield, but they don't have to be. They can be a time of meeting with the Lord and sharing with him all day long. Our thoughts can respond to him. And have conversations with him. We can pray and share our needs and emotions. Remember, he knows our thoughts already. You know, you might be thinking, and Lord, you might not even say, Lord, you're thinking, what am I going to do about this? How are we going to take care of this? God knows you're thinking about that. So share, share those thoughts with him. I want to encourage you this last part, to have quiet time in your thoughts. Not just your morning devotion time. We call it our quiet time, you know. But have quiet time in your thoughts at a red light or walking across campus if you're at school or performing tasks on your job that are just, you know, mundane. You do this job every day. You can have quiet time with God in your thoughts because he's there with you. Don't just seek to fill your quietness with music or talk shows or sports reports. You know, we turn on the radio right away or Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or whatever the latest thing is. It's just stealing our thought time away. From the Lord, but be still and know that I am God. That stillness can be present even when we're on the go, and we can have that time with the Lord without ceasing all the time. Amen. Amen. Mr. Todd, would you go and grab the communion? I want to keep talking just on the same vein as Ms. Carla talking about communion. And I want to talk about it um, in the corporate sense of when we gather together as a church. And uh, I was thinking there's a while back I was having a conversation with some friends and they were talking about uh, a Christian worship band that just their concerts were amazing. And every time you went to a concert, you just experienced the presence of God like never before. And one of my friends just was saying like, how is that, that every time you go to one of their concerts, it's just, it's so, so amazing. And you're so impacted. And, uh, we were just thinking about and just right there. I just knew it's because everybody comes expectant and everyone comes like 
ready for, for what's about to happen. They are, they're all tuned in. They're all right there. Everyone's wanting to be up front because they're expectant of something amazing happening. And when, when everyone comes like that, it happens. The presence of God comes. Um, and, and that's what God desires to commune with his people corporately. Um, and in the beginning, when God created the heaven and the earth, he created man in his image. He created us in his likeness. I, I grew up, my dad had a lawn business, and uh, when I was really young, he taught me how to weed eat, and he'd bring me out to these big country properties and stick me on a fence line where I couldn't hurt anything and just, just tell me to go weed eat for miles on end. And, uh, and so I just weed eat, and staring out of weeding your head gets pretty boring after uh, one second. But... Um, but I, my thoughts would kind of run crazy. And I remember thinking so much like, God, you could have made us look like anything. I mean, he could have given us a unicorn, you know, or he could have put eyes on the side of our nose. He could have given us all a head of a different animal. I mean, he could have just had us to where he looked down and just got a good laugh out of us. Um, honestly, it, it, it kind of freaked me out. I'm, I'm thankful I look how um, I look like I do, but God, God created us in his image. He created us in his likeness and we're the only creature that he did that to because he wanted to fellowship with us. He wanted intimacy with you. He wanted intimacy with, with me. He wanted intimacy with all of us together as a church um, and, and man had that in the garden and then they were deceived and they were removed from the presence of God. And then they went and they populated it, and still God wanted to rule his people. He wanted to lead them like Stephen was saying last night, but still man was deceived and they chose man as their leader. They chose a king to rule over them instead of God. And so and many times throughout history, man would repent and say, God, we want you. But then they were just led astray because we were a sinful heart. And so Jesus came and he lived this perfect life and he died. And his, his death, his blood being shed, made the way so that all of our sin could be washed away. And we could be restored to having intimacy with him and having communion with him because with sin in our lives, with sin separating us from God, we couldn't have that communion, that intimacy with him like man once had in the garden because we were spiritually dead and God could not come and inhabit with our sins separating us from him. But when Jesus came and his, his death did everything for us. And so we're going to take communion. If you would, if you would serve it, you could just, if you could pass it around, we're going to, we're going to take, take a moment, though, and, and I want to read this passage. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says in, in verse 16, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? There's one bread we who are many, we all partake of the one bread and we partake of that cup. And when we, when we partake of this, it says this cup that we take, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? You know, growing up, I heard, I remember learning about Catholicism and different 
different beliefs around communion. And some people have gotten really off, off track. They've just gone on a tangent. And even I, I, I strongly do not believe that when we take of this bread, that it becomes a literal flesh of Christ. But what it's saying here is that we do participate with the, with the, the body and the blood of Christ. And this is a spiritual thing. The, the word participate, the root word is koinonia, which means to fellowship as a corporate fellowship, but it's often used as deep intimacy, even as a, a man and his wife. And that's what, that's what God's saying. He's saying, when you come and you take communion, I want to have intimacy with you. I want to have intimacy with my whole church. So as we come to this, we're going we're gonna to just take a couple minutes and I, and I encourage you, just examine your heart and even question, what, it, what am I seeking as I come before God? What am I seeking as I'm here? Like, did you come here because we can all get together and you get to catch up? Because I do that all, a lot of times. I look forward to seeing, seeing my friend, Stephen McKay, who's one of my favorite guys. And, and I get so excited to come see you all. And I, and I don't think about coming and have an intimacy with God because but when we do expect him, when we do come with a heart that's so desiring him to meet with him, we will experience him. We will experience intimacy. So hold that cup. We're going to all take of it in a moment, but just over these next couple minutes, examine your heart. Enjoy the presence of God. Enjoy what he's done for you. Think on the cross. Think on the blood of Jesus. Guys, without Jesus dying, we could not experience his presence like we have over these past few days. We couldn't have his spirit living inside of us. Guys, enjoy, enjoy his presence. Enjoy him. Enjoy intimacy with him right now.
For the Lord, God Almighty. 
been so fitting just the heart of the Lord for this whole week and how it's just been from hearing out David's heart for the Lord and just knowing the heart of God what he wants and so I just want to talk just about positioning ourselves in worship when we come into a corporate setting to church you know how is what should our heart be like what should our heart be towards I'm going to read two scriptures Psalm 150 verse 1 through 6 praise the Lord praise God in his sanctuary Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. And John four twenty three. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. So this part's important. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. And so, you know, the Christian life is not a life of rituals. We don't just do things because, but it's a life of faith and relationship with our, our God, our Savior, like we've been talking about this whole time. 
And so when, when we come to church, it's not, you know, a lot of times we're selfish people and we think about what I need and what's going on in my life or what do I feel like? And that's going to dictate how I act in church, how I worship God. But like we've been talking about this whole week, what is God's heart? What does he want? What does he want from you? And in 1 Corinthians 3.16, I love this scripture. As Paul's talking to the church, says, don't you know that you individually, you are God's temple and the spirit of God dwells in you. And just like Levi was talking about how God created man for fellowship. He created man to have fellowship. So he's created us to have fellowship with us. And now because of what Jesus did on the cross that, and we are confessed our faith in Christ and been baptized into his body, this God himself dwells in us. That's a powerful scripture. If you just think about that, they, we are the temple of God. And you think about the Old Testament, what was the temple? It's where God's presence was. That's where his people set apart for him, came to worship him. They offered sacrifices, praise, like we just read in Psalms, um, through instruments, through shouting, through singing, through the lifting of hands. It was physical. And so it wasn't just where I could just sit in my chair and okay, I'm worshiping God. And I think a lot of times we come, it's, am I worshiping God how I want to worship him? Think about Cain and Abel. There were two certain sacrifices. God wanted a certain one. And, they, and a, uh, Cain did his own, what he thought God would appreciate. But God told him what he wanted, and God's heart doesn't change. And so when we come you know, to worship, what again, what is God's heart's desire? What does Jesus want? And so we know that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, like we read in 1 Corinthians. And what does the Holy Spirit desire to do? He desires to magnify Jesus. He desires to lift up Jesus. And so since the Holy Spirit lives in us, he wants to do that through you, and he wants to do that through me. So when we come to church, the Holy Spirit is, is like the whole time in me, like, I want to magnify Jesus through you. I want to worship Jesus. And so lift your hands, open your mouth, because through that I will move and I'll commune with the Father. And we know the Holy Spirit also reveals the deep things of God to us. So if you want to know the heart of God, if we want to know the heart of God for our city, we want to know the heart of God for the, our church, for our nation, Allow the Holy Spirit to have his way in you. Don't let our flesh get in the way of what the Holy Spirit wants to do based on how I feel, what I want to do. Even if I feel like worshiping or don't feel like worshiping, it doesn't matter. But I come every time by the grace and strength of the Holy Spirit in faith and obedience, I'm lifting my hands. In faith and obedience, I'm opening my mouth. These aren't just things that us, the religion, but no, these are things that God has instituted for his people to do because he dwells and he communes with us. And by his Holy Spirit, he's communing with God the Father through our bodies, our literal bodies here on earth, that we can have that, that privilege to commune with God, and he dwells with us. And so, again, we know we can grieve the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, the Holy Spirit lives in us, and he dwells in us, but we can't grieve him. And we know that the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit lusts against the flesh. So, and like every day, we're called to um, crucify our flesh with its lusts and desires. And so the same thing is when we come to church. There's two battles w- raging, and we could either submit to our, the Holy Spirit and allow him to move, or we could just submit to the flesh. And that might look different for everybody. You know what the Holy Spirit's leading you to do. But we have that choice. And, again, everything that we do is for Jesus. What is his heart? What does Jesus desire? Don't come to church or even – this takes every aspect of our life. But it's not like, what do I want? What dream do I want? What goal do I want? Or what do I want to get out of church today? Who do I want to see today? But Jesus, what do you want? What do you want from church today? What do you want to do in the church today, in your body? And that 
everything was made for him, by him, and through him. So everything we do is for him. Our lives are for him. So take courage that the Holy Spirit dwells in you if you're saved and born again. And he desires to move. He desires to worship God the Father through your body and through your life. And he's given us ways to do that. We're coming to the altar, lifting our hands, opening our mouths. These are physical things that if we do in faith and obedience, the Holy Spirit will work through and will commune with God our Father. And uh, let's just pray. Ms. Shannon's going to come up next. Lord, we just thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you just what a good God you are, Lord, that you saved us and then you live inside of us, Lord, and that you're with us, God, and you're revealing us to your heart, really revealing us your heart to us, Lord, and what you desire to do, Lord. I pray that by grace and faith that we would continue to walk in this every day, Lord, that we would not grow weary in doing well, Lord, but we would continue by your Holy Spirit to walk, God, and to worship as you desire, Lord, and live as you desire. In Jesus' name. use my hands to talk so I need for him. I just I love Spurgeon. I just wanted to start with a quote by him that was fitting. It says, I have looked back to times of trial with a kind of longing, not to have them return, but to feel the strength of God as I have felt it then, to feel the power of faith as I have felt it then, to hang upon God's powerful arm as I hung upon it then, and to see God at work as I saw him then. And most of you know this, but for those of you who are visiting, I was diagnosed with cancer last year and had to go through a few months of uh, chemo and different treatments and um, just was really sick and miserable during that time and there was many nights that I just lied awake in a recliner just you know weeping and crying and so weak you know but it was in those moments y'all that I just felt the presence of God like I've never felt before I've never experienced before you know going through this and um, the only way I can really describe it is just like this this perfect peace, you know, where God just loved me and he, he comforted me and just sang over me like Lee talks about sometimes, you know, I've never, never had that before. And, um, and Lee has mentioned many times over the years that we would all go through this garden of Gethsemane moment in our lives, you know, and I always wondered what that might look like. And, uh, he talked about, you know, going through this, um, this period of, of, uh, just closeness to the Lord and a time of pain, you know? And so I was almost envious when he would talk about that closeness with the Lord, you know, not the pain part, but you know, you just were afraid of what that might look like or what would be required of you in that time. But I think going through that garden of Gethsemane is just coming to a place of just complete brokenness or sorrow or just dependence upon God that nothing else can really fix or comfort or satisfy, you know, in that moment. And when you go through that, you really do come to a place where you no longer really fear death or the schemes of man or the enemy. You know, you just um, you just rest in in this this perfect peace with the Lord. And like this cocoon is all I could really think of is like, you're just swaddled and you're comforted like a baby in the arms of a, of a mother, you know, just this peace. It's just a perfect peace. And, um, I've heard people say that when Jesus was praying in the garden of Gethsemane, you know, let this cup pass from me, that he was like afraid of maybe the, the suffering that he was going to have to go through on the cross. But, you know, Jesus wasn't afraid to die, y'all. There have been men and women who have been martyred gloriously, you know, and our Lord wouldn't do so any less gloriously, you know. And um, But it was just going to, he was going to be taking upon him all the sin and the shame and that man has ever committed and would ever commit, you know, and, um, and his his 
you know, his, his father, who's had perfect relationship with and never had broken communion with, you know, wouldn't even be able to look upon him on the cross and would ultimately forsake him for our sakes, you know. And that's why he, he, he sweat drops of blood in the garden. It wasn't because he was afraid to die, you know. But Peter, he was in the, in the garden with Jesus, and um, Peter was afraid to die. You know, if y'all remember, he was with Jesus, and um, whenever... You know, Jesus was was taken to be crucified. You know, Peter denied knowing Jesus because he was afraid too that they were going to associate him with them and take him, and and he might be he might be killed as well. You know, but um, after Peter had his own kind of Garden of Gethsemane moment in his life, and he was broken and he was humbled, and then eventually filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, he would go on to be crucified, but you know, it says that um, he asked to be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to be crucified like his Lord, you know, just that transformation that happened in his life after going through that is really amazing. And I was lying awake the other night, just thinking about all this. And I, I just asked the Lord, I'm like, you know, what about people maybe who haven't gone through that garden of Gethsemane moment in their lives? You know, what would you have me to tell them or, or to encourage them with, you know? And I just felt the Lord saying that most people have had a moment like that in their lives, but some people have fallen asleep. And I just thought about the disciples with Jesus in the garden. And Luke's version says that they fell asleep from sorrow. And, you know, I've always thought that they just fell asleep because they had been there a long time with Jesus, you know, but they fell asleep from sorrow. And they were in the garden with Jesus. They were so close to him, you know, but they were overcome with the sorrows of their circumstances. And instead of drawing near to Jesus and just watching and praying, they fell asleep. And I just felt the Lord saying, you know, just encourage my people just to rise and pray like he told his disciples. And y'all, I do really believe that we have many more gardens of Gethsemane's ahead of us. You know, I really do. And here in America, especially. And, and the Lord doesn't want us to be weighed down with uh, the cares of this life and the and sorrows, y'all. He wants us to be awake and he wants us to be watching and drawing near to him so that he can draw us up into that secret place of the Most High, you know, where he will cover us with his feathers and he can draw under his wings and we won't be afraid of the terrors by night and the arrows that fly by day or the pestilence, you know, that walks in darkness like Psalms 91 says, but we'll just be sheltered under his wings, you know, and there will no perfect peace, you know, that'll cast out all fear and that love, y'all, that I experienced. I'm telling you, you don't, you won't fear death. You won't, you'll be willing to lay down your life if that time ever came. I'm telling you. And, um, and so unless we think that, you know, it's something that we can do, y'all, we can't do this. You know, we can't make ourselves pray more. We can't, um, you know, just determine in our minds that we're going to, you know, spend more time and rise and pray and enter that secret place. Y'all, I'm telling you, when I was in that recliner, y'all, there's many nights that I couldn't pray. I I couldn't do anything but weep and cry, y'all. But it's not what God wants to do. He wants us just to gaze upon him, you know, gaze upon him in the garden as he, he sweat those drops of blood, you know, gaze upon him as the cross on the cross, you know, as he was forsaken by his father for our sake, you know, he's acquainted with our griefs and he's acquainted with our sufferings. And he wants us just to gaze upon him and gaze upon the father, you know, who had to forsake him for our sakes, y'all. And that's what going up into the secret place. That's when you can worship him and you can praise him through your tears. And he brings you up into that secret place of the most high. And y'all, just once you discover this place, I'm telling you, it's like, um, 
it's just like Spurgeon said, it, it's, you almost long to go back. And I know that's hard to even understand that, you know, that it was difficult, but you do like, you almost long to go back because you're so near to God and you're so close to him. And there's just something that I just can't even put into words, you know, and you really do long for God in a greater way than you did before. So just want to encourage y'all, you know, don't fear whatever testing or trial or whatever your garden is going to look like. Don't fear it, you know, don't um, worry about it, you know, and if anything, just look forward to it, you know, because it's going to be something special for sure. And the Lord will lift us up, you know, whatever it is, he'll lift us up above it all. He just wants us to be awake. He wants us to be praying so that he can lift us up. You know, sometimes like the disciples, we do get tired and we want to slumber, you know, and we don't want to deal with our circumstances, but just give it all to the Lord. He really will bring us into that secret place. So, and only the Holy Spirit can do this. So let's just pray that the Lord would help us and maybe take a minute and just search our hearts and, and ask him for grace in this, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.
together. seeking healing from God and many are seeking miracles other types of miracles from God but just haven't received them yet and I just want to share today on there's no shame in waiting on a, on a, for an unanswered prayer you know we're in an encouraged conference uh, with an emphasis on prayer an emphasis on experiencing the presence of God in our daily lives and although there are rules in this walk with Jesus, it's not about the rules. And although there are principles in our walk with Jesus that can set a course for our life, it's not about our performance. Although we definitely have a destination to look forward to, our God wants us to enjoy the ride with him. We're talking relationship. We're talking intimacy. We're talking life with our maker. And it's very important to keep that in mind in regards to something that we're desperately seeking God for but haven't received it yet. Quickly, let's look at a couple examples of suffering in the Bible, even a couple examples where guys didn't receive their, their answer. Of course, we know the story of Job. In one day, he lost all his possessions. He lost all of his children. Gone in one day. If that wasn't enough... The devil stole his health. At that point, he had a choice to make. And you, with his wife telling him to curse God and die, with his friends telling him, hey, man, you must have sin in your life. That's why you're going through this. He had a choice. And in Job 13, he said something very important for us to remember. He said, though he slay me, I will trust him. What is relationship built on? Trust, right? trust. He goes on to say, this also will be my salvation for a godless man. A godless person cannot come before his presence. He was wanting to go into the presence of God. He was seeking relationship, seeking friendship. But that word godless, interesting, it's actually hypocritical. You know, he was saying, I'm not going to go for God when everything's going great. And then when things go bad, I kind of drift off to the side. He wanted God no matter what. He wanted to go deeper. Quickly look at David. Stephen did a great job Thursday night, and he brought up David. We know the story. David falls for Bathsheba, has her husband killed, ends up marrying her, and has a son. But then the son gets sick, and he's about to die. And David has a choice. He goes for a fast. He's asking God, to save his son. And you can hear David. He's like, I mean, I can picture him. God, it's my fault. I, I sinned. I did it. Don't, don't take it out on my son. You know, spare, spare my son. This is the shepherd boy, right? That God went and chose 
to be king, anointed him to, king, to be king. Saul had killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands, a mighty warrior for God. Surely God is going to answer this prayer and save his son. And so he's praying, he's fasting, and he sees his servants over there whispering in Second Samuel 12, and he says, has he died? And they said, yes, he died. And so what does David do? It says he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He went back for the presence of God. He went back for relationship. He went back. That word worship said was prostrate. It means he lay on his face before God, even when he did not get the answer to his prayer. And Paul, we know probably the greatest guy in the, in the world that God used to uh, unfold mysteries and revelations from the foundation of the world. God used Paul to write 14 letters, which became 14 books in our, in our new Testament. And there was a, a messenger from Satan to torment Paul. And Paul goes to God and sit three times and pleads with the Lord in second Corinthians to, that he might leave him. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. Paul had a choice what do I do now? You know, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And we, I love Philippians 3. We can see the heart of Paul because he still cries out that I may know him, that I may know him. That word know is intimacy, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his sufferings. Intimacy with God is what Paul knew was his source of life. So when we're experiencing disappointment, and discouragement because of unanswered prayer. Seek God. Seek his face. Don't necessarily go after that answer. But never, never be ashamed. We're in good company. You can see where we may not always get our answer. God is sovereign. Seek after him. Wait for God. Go after God. Seek his face. Dig deeper in our relationship with God. You know, we've all seen people with shallow relationships, even marriages where one partner or both are only in it for all they can get, only in it for themselves. Takers, you know, give me, give me, give me what's in it for me. Let's go deeper in God, sure, he loves it when we cry out to him. He wants us to cry out when we're suffering. But sometimes let's not ask God what he can do for us. But let's seek what we can do for God. Let's not always ask what our church can do for us. But what can we do for our church, the people of God? So I just want to share three words that start with an S. Why don't y'all stand because I want us to pray together. The first word is S is shame. You know, the devil, that liar, always wants to put shame on us. He's saying, where's your faith? Why haven't you got your answer from God? He's trying to disqualify us. He's trying to say, you're unlovable. You're unredeemable. God's not going to, he's not going to heal you. He's not going to give you that miracle. But the devil is a liar. He's a father of lies. We need to resist that shame. Rebuke the devil away from us. And what does God bring? God, the creator of heaven and earth who loves us infinitely, he gives us sufficient grace. His grace is sufficient for us. We all know what grace means, favor, kindness, blessing. But that word sufficient 
means enough. It means qualifying. While the devil is trying to disqualify us, God is giving us qualifying grace. And that Paul the Apostle says in 14 out of 14 letters, he closes with this. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. It's sufficient grace. What about us? What can we give? We can give a surrendered heart and life. You know, sometimes when I'm praying, I think about my loved ones. I cut my hands like this. And I put Carol in there. I put my children in there. I put my heart in there. Why don't we cup our hands today and put our miracle, maybe put our prodigal son or daughter in our in our hands and surrender our hearts, surrender our lives, surrender that dream maybe that God gave you that hadn't come to pass yet. Surrender the things that are most precious to you. God, we just surrender our life to you. We surrender surrender our hearts to you today, God. We long for relationship. We long for deeper, deep calls to deep. Draw us closer to you, God, as we surrender our all to you, God. We thank you that you are faithful. You are faithful. We love you. We love you. We love you, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
you believe the word of God? <laughs> Amen. I do too. I, I know you do. I think we really move from a place of what the devils can have, the devils believe, right? Um, into a place of miracles when we believe that the word of God is to me. The word of God is to you. And so um, I just want to share with you how the Lord has been ministering to me recently out of his word. And um, just love everything we've heard today. He is for us and his his fellowship is very rich. Um, So very recently, um, you said this word today, I had a gnawing. (laughs) I had a gnawing. And and that was really the only word I could use to describe it. And I, I believe he's in our thoughts too. And he's in our thoughts to answer him sometime because he's devoted to us. He's with us and he hears us and he answers. And so that gnawing was working on me. And, um, you know, just I've had, I have a promise from God and, you know, it's been a long time, about 14 years. And, you know, I'm like just the why and the when and all that is just gnawing inside of me. And, um, you know, I was, I opened my Bible to pray and something just made me get up from my usual place and go into my closet. It's like, I'm, I'm going to, you know, really talk to you, Lord. And I, I sat down and I opened my Bible to Psalm four and I begin to read and the verse starts out. Hear me when I call, hear me. And the Lord has set apart um, for himself the godly. The Lord will hear when I call. And I closed the book and I just agreed with God. You will. I'm your godly. I'm in Jesus. I'm set apart from you. I'm set apart for you. And you will hear me when I call. And then I open the word and now God is speaking to me. And he says, stand in all. Sin not. In other words, just stop, just stop with all of your stuff, all of your swirling accusations, all of your questions, just stop. Just be in awe of me. Just be in awe of me. Lay flat on your back in your bed and commune with me in your heart and trust in me. It says, um, be still, just be still. And then it says, Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. And, I, and I'm like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I will, I'll do that. You know, I think I know what the sacrifices of righteousness are. I mean, we're all church family for the most part. God's done a great work in our church and in our personal lives to teach us about Thanksgiving. Pastor Lee's preached from Romans 1. And we understand, you know, when we're not thankful when we know God, that darkness just comes into our foolish hearts and just brings a darkness and a heaviness. And when we are thankful, you know, in our you know, our private lives with God and in the congregation, light comes and helps us. So I read that and I said, yes, Lord, I will do that, you know, but God kept bringing me here daily. (laughs) I was here daily in Psalm four reading. And uh, one day I just opened it. I said, God, what do you say the sacrifices of righteousness are? And uh, so I began to study the word. And in Psalm 50, it is the sacrifice of thanksgiving. It says to pay your vows to the most high and call on him in the day of trouble. And I will deliver you and, and you'll glorify me. Yes, that's there. But the word goes further and it actually defines the sacrifices of God. This, the sacrifices of righteousness in Psalm 51. It says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Oh, God will not despise this. And, um, you know, when I read that, 
it was a revelation for me because the week before I had been studying in depth Isaiah 57. I've always been very drawn to that scripture. Uh, I just want to read it to you. This is your God. This is our God. Thus says the high and the lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and the holy place. Who do you dwell with, Lord? I dwell with him that is of a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the hearts of the contrite one. It's somebody that's sorry for sin. It's somebody that's just depressed. It's somebody that is walking through trouble or just, I mean, just heavy, you know, heavy burdened. And, um, you know, to be honest, when I read it, though it was like a revelation, I knew God was speaking to me. I really didn't feel very contrite or, um, you know, any of this, but I knew God was speaking to me. And, um, you know, it says there right after that in the same chapter in Isaiah, you know, if you didn't know the Lord, you would almost think it was mean, but it says, I see your covetousness. I see what you want. He says, I see you going on in the way of your own heart. And he says, I've seen your ways and I'll heal you. And so I just, in obedience, kind of like your, the pastor you spoke about, not much feeling at the time, in obedience to this word, I began to do this. And I began to tell the Lord all the things that I knew he already knew. You know, sometimes we get in that place of hardness because you go, I know you know, I know, and you know, and you know that I know, know you know, and, and you just don't talk about it. You just don't unburden yourself. But in obedience, I begin to just tell the Lord and I begin to tell him about this and how long it's been and how I don't understand. And why did you ask me to do this and all the things? And in that, you know, the word revive in the scripture, it means to give life. It's like, I see your breath. That's the spirit. It's the breath and the wind of you, of, of Michelle. It's just expiring. And I want to revive you. That's why I want you to come up into my high and holy place. And this is the invitation because I want to give you my my breath, my wind. And as God is ministering this to me, I just see this picture in my mind. I see the picture of just mouth to mouth, you know, with God. And uh, I see it in the scriptures too. I see Adam laying there in the garden, flat on his back, and God comes and breathes his breath in his nostrils. And I see the risen Lord um, coming to his disciples and showing him his, hand, his hands and his side. And he says, you know, as the Lord, as my father has called me, so I call you. Wouldn't that have made you afraid? I'm, I'm sure it did. And he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. It would have been absolutely weird if it would have been anyone else, but the Lord, he breathed his breath on them and, and they received the Holy Ghost. And, um, I see the bride of Christ calling out to her Lord and saying, kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. Kiss me. Says your name is as ointment poured forth. But let me tell you what the word kiss means. God is intimate. God is very intimate. He says, let me kiss. And the word kiss there, it means to fasten upon, 
to be strong. It means to be equipped with weapons. And it means to be armed. This is the weapons of your warfare. But you know how he's going to give you that? With a kiss. The word kisses in this is just kiss. (laughs) Let him kiss means to arm. It means to equip with weapons, the weapons of your warfare. It means to be fastened upon and to be strong. But he's going to do it with a kiss, with his mouth. And it means to blow away or to blow or to puff. And it means to give his life. It's nothing new. It's what we all know that it's by his spirit. And I just want to read this. This is, you know, as we call out to the Lord like that, kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. Your name is as ointment poured forth. Look how the Lord responds to us. Oh, how fair is your love, my sister, my spouse, my church. How much better is thy love than wine and the smell of thine ointment, my name, than all spices. Thy lips, oh, my spouse, they drop as honeycomb, honey and milk are under your tongue and the smell of your garments as the smell of Lebanon. But you're a garden enclosed, my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. He's saying, look, I see the life of Christ within you. I see within you all these plants, these orchards, the the fruits and the spice. They're so lovely. It's the fruit of the spirit. I see the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the goodness, the kindness, every virtue of Christ. Against such, there is no law. But it's a fountain of gardens, a well of a well of waters. But Jesus didn't just die for wells, did he? This is Old Testament. He wanted rivers. So awake, O north wind, and come thou south and blow on my garden. I've heard it said that that's affliction and his suffering. Well, maybe so. But afflictions and suffering, they don't yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. It is the chastening of the Lord that does that. It's when these things bring us low and we lay on our backs and we call out to God and say, kiss me, Lord, kiss me. My strength is expiring. I need you. I need you. And how wonderful he responds to that. I want to just invite you to stand and whether you make a place where you are, you come into these altars. I want to invite you to offer God the sacrifices of righteousness. And I just speak to you as you come and you make your place. You may do this in, in three ways or maybe more. The Spirit, I know the Holy Spirit will lead you and show you. Ethan was teaching us one night and he was talking about just shouting out to the Lord and, and, and giving him what we desire to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And I thought it was so wise. He said, sometimes when you do that, it just feels awkward, you know, but then when you do it in obedience, you're being filled, you're being baptized in the Holy Ghost out of your belly is flowing those river rivers of, of living waters. Some of you may be like I was, or you may know just what's going on. And, and God wants you. He's waiting for you. He is waiting for you in that high and holy place. Unburden yourself and tell him. I think about that song. I must tell Jesus. Jesus will help me. Tell him everything. Let him fill you. Let him revive you. Let him give you of himself. And some of you need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. And I just want to tell you, you don't have to have somebody lay hands on you to do that. Just ask him, believe him. This is what the Lord said to them that believe as the scripture says, 
out of his belly will flow rivers of living waters. Seek the Lord. He's waiting for you.
just felt like a wet noodle but I'm going to tell you and this is just your inheritance so you have to receive it I walked in a strength in those coming days that wasn't my own I walked in renewed strength I walked in the power of the Holy Ghost and the bitterness the things I was feeling I didn't feel it that is a miracle and that's what he wants that's the essence of Isaiah 57 why he dwells with us because he wants to revive he doesn't want his people to be depressed though things come he wants to give us that supernatural strength so I just encourage you no matter how you feel when we finish this meeting just know that the grace of God will strengthen you as that is your faith you will walk in the power of the Holy Ghost and the promises and the things he's given yes amen I still believe that and you may believe that but I'm obsessed more with the presence of God and the desire to have him than any of those things I just encourage you in that look unto the I will. 
Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. You're unchanging and you're holy. You're righteous. You're just. You're good. You're merciful. You have not forsaken us. You invite us into your presence and you make the way. We thank you for the blood your precious son Jesus we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit we thank you Father that you have desired to make us a partner with you, a co-laborer with you but even in that you do it all you even do the work in us and through us and I thank you Lord for these precious people who have shared today Lord, that I love so much and just admired God and been inspired by their walk. So many others that could have stood up here today that have experienced that same reality with you, exercised that same faith. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Thank you for the faith. Thank you, Jesus. You're the author and the finisher of our faith. You never do anything to destroy our faith or to weaken it. Everything you're doing in our life is to make our faith stronger. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We won't be much longer. Um, You can be seated. Just a few few more minutes. Um, Hector asked. He had something in his heart about. Just give him a few minutes to share that. So our dear friend from New York, Hector Vega. Church, I just just felt compelled to tell you that you're standing in a place where there's an open heaven. Uh, And sometimes I think um, we can take that for granted. Um, You are blessed. You need to know that you're blessed. The people that are leading you, Pastor Lee, who's become a great friend to me, thank you for loaning him to us. And uh, thank you for putting this together. Uh, So many of us pastors need the encouragement away from the noise, away from the preening that's going on on all the stages and pulpits around the world. It's just so hard to go somewhere and just kind of sit and allow the fresh water from heaven to come down. And receive Pastor Alec, I believe yesterday I asked for prayer about some, I needed some clarity on some things. And you shared some things today that brought some clarity. So thank you for that. Church, I woke up this morning and I got just one quick nugget, one quick thought for you. It's found in the book of Daniel, chapter 10. If you know anything about the book of Daniel, you know Daniel was living in a place of captivity. He was in a foreign land. He was serving a foreign government, a government that was not godly. At all, and yet he allowed himself to uh, to live a life of consecration. He wanted to be set apart because he wanted to continue to honor God. In the book of Daniel, chapter ten, we see a story that um, the Bible says that uh, when he he said, "Look, I'll read it to you." It says, "Just then a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling." To hand my hands and knees, the man said to me, "Daniel, you are very precious to God." So listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I've been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up, still trembling. He said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray, 
Since the first day you began to pray and to humble yourself before your God, your request was heard in heaven. I, I want to remind you today that uh, so many of us uh, are one prayer away from seeing the breakthrough. Because the problem is that we're fighting not from a heavenly place. We're fighting from a, a place of a low place, if you will. In other words, if you know anything about combat and, and war and things of that nature, if you have the high ground, you have a better uh, opportunity to be victorious. And God is inviting you and me to enter the secret place, the heavenly place, to fight from that position, if you will. The Bible says that since he started to pray, immediately the answer was dispatched, but it was held in that in-between place. There was an angel that was dispatched to bring the answer, but there was an opposition that was also dispatched to fight to hold that answer back. Some of us have been praying for a long time, and that thing is being held up right there. I want to remind you, Daniel continued to pray, and he continued to fast. And I just want to suggest to you that if we continue to enter that place of fasting and praying, God will finally bring the manifestation of what he's already answered. Because the Bible says, before you call, I've answered. So he wants to bring the manifestation into our reality but some of that thing is held up. The, the devil is the, uh, the prince of the air, the Bible says. So we got to fight him from the, uh, the high point. Can I get an amen to that? The Bible says in the book of Matthews that Jesus told his the disciples, I've given you the key to the kingdom, if you will. I've given you the key of authority. And whatever you bind on the earth shall be bound in heaven. I don't want to get into the theology of binding and loosing. All I will tell you is the key allows me to get into the holy of holies. So that I can fight this thing from a heavenly place. Church, we have an awesome opportunity here corporately, my goodness, to pray from that heavenly position. And we shall see the victory in what God wants to do. God bless you with that thought. Amen. 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 So um, I told you you had a treat. I, I told everybody, I think it was what... Um, Sunday night, I was just talking about the conference we're having, and I said, Friday night, we're going to have a special guest. <laughs> I had so many people coming up to me. Who is it? I know who it is. I know. Pastor Lee, I figured it out. It's a female, isn't it? And they were just like, and then others were saying, no, it's this. It's going to be this person, this person. And um, I hope you all met him last night. Yeah. Yeah. So he was wonderful last night. Wonderful. And um, talking about Jesus, if y'all don't know, people are looking around like, who was it? <laughs> oh, I had the biggest kick out of that. It was, so, it was so great. But we do also have in flesh and blood a special guest, uh, Jonathan Skiles and his son Cameron is here and Francis, is Cameron's wife, is here and they're going to Close us with some songs. How many of you love Jonathan singing? Oh, my gosh. So y'all come on up and, and just get ready. And we're going we're gonna to close. Jonathan's going to close us out with a song or two. And um, while they're coming up, I just wanted to make a couple of comments. Number one, um, we're, going, we're in for a treat tonight um, because of just the anointing and the value of Jesus that's in Pastor Alec Rollins. Um, he's going to be ministering tonight. I don't know what time the dessert is. Five, okay, thank you. Five o'clock next door. It's been so good. So good. 
And um, thank you all. Look, all of you guys that are volunteering and you're cooking and you're serving and you're cleaning. Thank you so much. I just honestly love you. I appreciate you, all that you're doing. You're, you're behind the scenes. I think God is just right there on you. He's mouth to mouth with them. He's just right there. Thank you. You make it, you just make it happen. Um, six o'clock tonight. Okay. Not seven, six o'clock tonight. And then Sunday morning at nine o'clock, Sunday morning at 1030, Alec Rowland will be preaching and then we'll have dinner on the grounds after that. And so stay with us, um, for as long as you can. I have heard so much and I hear so often I just want to see the Holy Spirit move. I, I just want to see the book of Acts like happen again today. I want to see the power of God. I, I want to see the glory of Jesus Christ. I want to see the miracles of God again in the earth today. And praise God for that desire. But then I watch the same attitude in people come to church and find a seat and sit down out of religious tradition or habit or whatever it may be. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And if he's going to move, he has to be able to move through you. We have to believe God to move through us. We should seek and earnestly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it's really not that profound of an issue to try to understand what are the greatest gifts. It's whatever the particular need might be in that moment. If there is a sickness that somebody might be suffering, if there is something going on maybe in people's lives in the congregation and you're moved with a burden for that, we, we're, we're dealing with a couple of issues with some, some of our beloved people dealing with Parkinson's in our church. And we just want to wipe that demon out. And we're praying, God, give us the gift of healing. Well, that's not on a platform necessarily. That gift of healing might be in you. Jesus Christ has qualified you to serve him. The Bible says that Jesus has made us kings and priests unto God. And you have the right, as a born-again Christian filled with the Holy Spirit, you have, you have the right to be able to serve the Lord. And I'll just say this to you. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. I always thought that was strange. If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Because you would have thought that Jesus would have said, out of my belly will flow rivers. But he didn't. He said, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. He's talking about the church. And the water comes from him. It's the Holy Spirit, but it's going to come out of the belly of the church. And people are looking for Jesus. And people need to drink from Jesus. There's a world that is sick. Physically, mentally, spiritually, that is sick. And if the Holy Spirit, and he can... But when the Holy Spirit is able to produce that testimony of Jesus anywhere in the city, the sick are going to run to Jesus Christ. The hurting, the broken, the lame, they're going to run to Jesus Christ because they are desperate. They're not religious. They're desperate. They've come to the end of their life. There's no hope anywhere else. 
And we heard that the Lord is with you. And we heard that God is healing people. And God is rescuing people. And that is the reputation of Jesus Christ. We all believe in the gospel of Jesus. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God, not self-righteousness, the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. And Paul said in Romans 15, I have fully preached this gospel to you with the power of the Holy Spirit. And beloved, I say to all of us that the gospel is not just simply a word message, but it is a demonstration of the Holy Spirit in power. And I pray with all of my heart that we as the church of Jesus Christ would not come into churches and find a seat, but that we would come and we would look for needs. We would love the body. We would love one another. We would understand, hey, those young people are about to graduate from college. Certainly they've got the pressure of a career on them. I'm not going to just sit in my seat. I'm going to go move over there to the young people. I'm going to just pray for them. I'm going to pray for their job. I'm going to pray for their spouse. I'm going to pray for that newlywed couple and just go pray for them that God would bless them and bless their home. Or they're expecting a baby. I'm going to go pray for them. Or I know that they're sick and I know that they're troubled. And I'm going to pray for them. And, and we love one another. And we serve one another in that fashion. Believing, believing that God the Holy Ghost is really in me. And he can reach out through my life with a gift, with a miracle, with power that might transform someone's circumstance. And, and, I, and that should be our expectation every single time not only when we gather, but when we walk into the supermarkets or we go into our workplaces or we go to schools. As Hayden said, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we move about this earth, the Holy Spirit is in us and he has authority everywhere we go. He is an authority. And we, we're, we believe this, but we need to have the faith that acts in this way towards God. It acts in this way. I want to say this last thing. I had 20 minutes, but I'm just taking a few. So I want to say this last thing. Um, somebody shared this with me. It was from A.W. Tozer. And this is what it says to me. When an orchestra would tune its instruments, they would tune all of their instruments to one tuning fork. And so they would hit the fork, it would vibrate, and the stringed instruments would tune to that fork. And when the instrument was tuned to the fork, whenever you would hit the fork and it would vibrate, without touching it, the strings on that instrument would begin to vibrate. Just begin to vibrate because it was in tune with it. All right? They didn't tune to each other. Because if somebody was just a little bit off, then everyone would be a little bit off down the, down the way. So they all tuned to that fork. God has given us the way he wants us to come to him. God, and, and by faith we do, by faith, because we believe he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But we don't all have to look alike. 
And we don't all have to act alike. And I say, oh, well, I want to be like Pastor Lee or I want to be able to dance like Phil, which I wish I could dance like Phil. But I want to be able to dance like Phil or I, I just want to be able to yeah, pray like Michelle prays. Or, you know, no, no, no. Don't tune yourself to them. Tune yourself to Jesus. Look at Jesus. Get in tune with him. And when he vibrates, if you will, when that tuning fork, fork begins to vibrate, you're going to vibrate with him. And when anyone else that's in tune with Jesus gets strummed by the Holy Spirit and they begin to vibrate because you're in tune to Jesus and they're in tune, you're going to, if you will, vibrate in that orchestra. And, and I say this to y'all, that when we gather together for church, and oh, to God that the whole room was just this big chorus tuned to Jesus Christ. And thank God for that. But even particularly in, in this altar, when we gather in these altars and we sing and we shout and we pray, there are times when you're striking the chord, you're right next to me, you're, I'm flat, you know, I'm just kind of like, and then you strike the chord and I begin to vibrate. I, I, I become inspired by what is going on with you and God and it moves me. That was one of the most beautiful things. And I just want Jesus to be so attractive to us as individuals and that he would be the attraction of our churches today because everything else that we try to do is just us trying to do it. But the Holy Spirit doesn't try to do anything. He can, he does, he will exalt and glorify and magnify Jesus Christ in this earth with power and Satan cannot stop him. Join the cause of God. Be with the Lord.